Take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. Spanning the continent to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. CannabisRadio.com presents The Russ Belleville Show The voice of the marijuana nation Hey, this is great, man Now, here's your host Radical Russ Belleville Good day, tokers and toquettes And non-toking lovers of liberty It is Wednesday, May 18th, 2016 And it's got to be 420 Somewhere in the world Welcome back to the program. So glad to have you here in the middle of the week. My last day here in beautiful legal potland, Oregon for eh, a week or so. Going to fly off to Washington, D.C. tomorrow, making my way to Normal's National Headquarters to uh, work for a couple of days and get some interviews and see the sights of Washington, D.C. That's leading up to next week's Normal National Lobby Day. That's taking place, uh, I think, Tuesday. And the Monday leading up to it, we have our own kind of normal conference going on. And I believe I'm making a presentation at this conference as well. So it should be interesting. We'll have plenty to bring you from the Washington, D.C. area. We'll talk with Keith Strop, the founder of Normal. We'll talk to some of the folks working at the National Normal office. Alan St. Pierre is on maternity or paternity leave, I should say, uh, just had a baby. And so he's uh, probably not going to be available, but we'll also try to get some congressmen on the record as we'll be wandering the halls of Congress, lobbying our senators and representatives for an end to this federal marijuana prohibition. Coming up on the show today, we have breaking news that we're going to get to in behind the headlines. Cannabis Now is reporting that there are raids by the Drug Enforcement Administration on medical marijuana in Montana. We'll give you all the details coming up after our cannabis radio news. Also on the show today in drug war data mining, the New York Times laments the problem business owners are finding lately, not just in Colorado or Oregon, but all across the country. Oh dear, they can't find enough people who can pass drug tests. Whatever shall we do? I have a couple of ideas. We'll get to that in drug war data mining. Also on the show today, it is the middle of the week and it's been a while, so it's time for a Hemp Day Hump Day update with our good friend, the organic cowboy himself, Doug Fine, best-selling author of Too High to Fail and Hemp Bound. He'll tell us the latest, which states have just recently passed industrial hemp legislation, which states are planting their industrial hemp, and uh, where things go from there. We last talked to Doug at the United Nations. We met up with him there during the United Nations General Assembly special session, so we'll probably talk a little bit about that as well. There were all sorts of great protests and, and a lot of international information to parse there, and we'll see if we can get some of Doug's take on that. Also on the show, at the end of the show, we'll have time for a radical rant where I was reading on the Huffington Post today a piece by the CEO of the American Heart Association and it was against big soda. And you know, when there's a big involved, there's something, something's up, right? So big soda, or as we call it, the Pacific Northwest, big pop. Uh, anyway, the uh, revelation that's coming to many people's uh, consciousness is that guess what? Sugar is a drug. Yes, sugar is a drug. We'll tell you all about it. 
when we get to the radical rant at the end of the show. But we'll start things off with the Cannabis Radio News. And, of course, yesterday was primary election day in Oregon. Bernie Sanders won the state. And that means Oregon is the first state with a closed Democratic primary that Bernie has won. We'll give you the results of some elections here in Oregon on county bans on marijuana businesses. Got a similar election in Yakima, Washington, a city council vote, I should say. And Placentia, California had a city council vote on marijuana businesses. Sacramento's got some information for us on the cops trying to defeat legalization. We've got new medical marijuana rules in Oakland and possible decrim in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. All coming up next. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. It's time to hemp present. I am going to titillate your audio orifices with weekly radio rendezvous with some of the premier movers, shakers, and history makers of the cannabis community. Radio resident hempo sapien Vivian McPeak. I will be putting out a call to action on the issues of the day and putting your interests under the big lights as I provide cannabis commentary and weekly interviews that go straight for the nugular. Marijuana! Hemp presents only on Cannabis Radio. Hey everybody, it's Radical Russ here from 420 Radio inviting you to be like me and get your ink done at Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo, Fort Worth's most female-friendly, clean, sterile, awesome tattoo shop. Thomas and his crew are true artists who can design you a custom piece or use a design you bring in. Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo also offers all styles of tattooing as well as piercings and all-around fun. In the DFW area, stop by Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo and tell them Radical Russ sent you. Trust me, it'll feel awesome. It's time for the Cannabis Radio News. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Cannabis Radio News is now available exclusively at CannabisRadio.com. Now your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis Radio News. This is your Cannabis Radio News for Wednesday, May 18th, 2016. Portland, Oregon. Voters in a conservative eastern Oregon county just said no on Tuesday to an effort to allow marijuana cultivation and sales. Measure 1258, the same radio call sign used by some law enforcement bodies for narcotics activity, sought to have Grant County residents be allowed to engage in all legal marijuana uses and activities under state law. 
Klamath County in the South faced a similar measure. With 60% of the votes counted, 58% were against, requiring the county to allow state-approved licenses, allowing medical dispensaries, retail farms, and retail sales to conduct business. With all the votes in from Grant County, 53.5% rejected the measure. Grant County Judge Scott Myers had said last week that he would be more than surprised if it passed. Shortly after Oregon voters decided in 2014 to legalize marijuana, the state allowed cities and counties to ban marijuana production and sales, where at least 55% of the voters opposed legalization. Over 100 cities and counties have since opted out, according to the Oregon Liquor Control Commission. Yakima, Washington. The Yakima City Council voted 4-3 to three Tuesday night to lift a ban on marijuana businesses. In a reversal, the majority that resisted turning the issue over to the City Planning Commission joined in a unanimous decision to let the commission work on land use regulations that will determine where marijuana businesses will be allowed to operate. The new majority that lifted the ban includes three new council members who campaigned on lifting the ban. Two of them received donations from the marijuana industry. Placentia, California. The Placentia City Council voted 3-2 to two Tuesday night to allow marijuana businesses, including what will be the first licensed and regulated marijuana grow operation in conservative Orange County. The law calls for one dispensary, one cultivation site, one manufacturing site, one testing lab, one service for transportation between locations, and one delivery service. After 18 months, the council could allow an additional cultivation site and one more dispensary. The law must be voted on a second time in two weeks. Sacramento, California. Cops and prison guards account for more than half of the money raised to oppose marijuana legalization in California. John Lovell, a lobbyist for police chiefs and prison guard supervisors, has formed the Coalition for Responsible Drug Policies. His anti-legalization group raised $60,000 during the first three months of the year, according to a disclosure filed earlier this month. The funds came from the California Police Chiefs Association, the Riverside Sheriff's Association, and the Los Angeles Police Protective League's Issues Pack, and the California Correctional Supervisors Organization. Other donors include the California Teamsters Union, the California Hospital Association, and Kevin Sabet's anti-legalization group Project SAM. However, the opposition funds pale in comparison to the $2.25 million raised by the effort to legalize marijuana in California. Oakland, California. Oakland's new medical marijuana rules include an equity program that is drawing debate. The San Francisco Chronicle reports that the city is reversing half, reserving half of its permits for people who meet one or more criteria, like incarceration for pot-related crimes in the past 10 years. Supporters say the program helps make reparations for drug policies that disproportionately impact African Americans and Latinos. Industry leaders were generally supportive, but warned the rules could stifle growth. Others warned equity permit rules could block some of the people they were intended to help. Oakland council members unanimously approved the rules Tuesday. Councilman DeKalb said he and other officials will work on clarifying the language. State law requires cannabis businesses to get licensed by the cities they operate in. Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania's capital city is poised to hear a proposal that would decriminalize marijuana. Harrisburg's council members on Wednesday night planned to discuss Mayor Eric Pappenfuse's proposal, which lowers the penalties for marijuana possession. Marijuana possession is currently deemed a misdemeanor that stays on an offender's criminal history. Pappenfuse's proposal would reduce the crime to the same level as a traffic ticket. A third marijuana possession arrest would be deemed a misdemeanor under the plan. Incremental fine increases starting at $100 are also proposed. 
This has been your Cannabis Radio News for Wednesday, May 18th, 2016. I'm Russ Belville. shooting past a thousand degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up. I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct. Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber. Doctor's order. Less heat, <laughs> more flavor. The Russ Belleville Show. We're as much like Cheech and Chong as ordinary Americans are like the Three Stooges. Hey, Mo! Normal stands for responsible adult cannabis use. If cannabis use is causing problems in your life, consider taking a break or seeking medical assistance. Consider ceasing cannabis use if you have a family history of mental illness. Don't drive or operate heavy machinery while impaired by cannabis use. Cannabis use is not without risks, even though the risks may be far less than those posed by legal drugs. New beginner guitars and banjos are often constructed much better than ones built before your time. Why struggle? Get a new instrument or fix the old one. The trusted professionals at the Fingerboard Extension will evaluate your instrument for free. Repairs are priced for people who work for a living. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension, downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. The world of cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our Cannabis Focus. Today in the Cannabis Focus, we do have some breaking news for you. This comes from CannabisNowMagazine.com, reported by David Downs. Earlier this afternoon, the DEA raiding Montana's huge medical marijuana provider, Montana Buds. Downs writes, agents from the Drug Enforcement Administration and local law enforcement from around Bozeman, Montana, are raiding one of the battleground state's largest medical cannabis providers this morning. Witnesses at the raid at Montana Buds in Four Corners, Montana, report six members of law enforcement taking items out of the dispensary and placing them in a storage trailer. One woman was seen handcuffed and sitting on the sidewalk. Four Corners metalworking business owner Mike Winter said, quote, I have no idea why they are being attacked. Owner Chuck has always been a great neighbor, end quote. A DEA agent on the scene declined to comment, stating this is now a federal investigation. Now, the raids going on there in Montana are difficult for us to have to deal with because a lot of you who listen to the show may know about the Rohrabacher Amendment. That's uh, still, you know, being fought over, but basically for two straight votes now, the U.S. Congress has approved and the president has signed a law that says the Department of Justice, that would be the DEA, cannot use their funds to execute raids, to execute actions against those in the marijuana industry in the plants that have legalized in the in the states that have legalized or uh, medicalized marijuana, they're supposed to be hands off. They're supposed to be not able to spend any money uh, in stopping these people so long as they're abiding by their state laws. Well, that's already been uh, challenged in California 
by the the prosecutions that have gone on there. But now uh, we've got uh, we've got the situation where the uh, Department of Justice has backed off on the Harborside prosecutions and backed off in California. Why are they moving forward in Montana? Well, part of the reason being is because the state of Montana, through its legislature, has hideously clamped down on their medical marijuana state regulations. Medical marijuana was passed in Montana in 2004, and that allowed for the industry to start to grow. They started to have dispensaries. They started to have access for people. That was shut down in 2011. There were new state laws that were passed that pretty much redefined, you know, closed a lot of the loopholes that people were using to make their a cannabis industry in Montana to actually supply people. And they'd had as many as 30,000 patients at one point, and I believe they are now below 3,000 as far as the patients go. And, and this has severely cut access. It's t- turned people back to the black market. And these places that continue to exist, like Montana Buds, are doing so in defiance of the state Supreme Court, which uh, in February ruled that dispensaries are illegal. Now, they ruled that in February, but the ruling doesn't go into effect until August. So at the moment, this this being May, this uh, Montana Buds isn't technically outlawed by that Supreme Court decision. So that doesn't seem to bother the DEA any because they are raiding the Montana buds and the pictures here from cannabisnowmagazine.com uh show DEA agents with black hoods on and and black glasses so you can't identify who they are. The DEA and Montana buds are not returning any uh comments any uh requests for comment yet. Uh, they've cut down cannabis plants located near the retail store, expanded their search to include other buildings, requested additional warrants. David Downs also writes the DEA agents interviewed neighbors about ties to hard drugs like cocaine and heroin. Witnesses said the witnesses said they run a clean operation and members of the community started to gather one saying, this is crazy. It makes me sick to my stomach. It's the largest provider of medical cannabis in the state. And uh, she, they can't, it's really unclear as to whether or not the business was following state law. Since we've got the, 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 where the laws are at this point, the state of these laws are, are, are still in flux with these different Supreme court decisions. They are trying to fix this. There's trying to get a dispensary initiative on the ballot for November they need to have 34,000 signatures by June 17th. So if you can get in touch with the Montana Cannabis Industries Association or the Montana Chapter of Normal, both of them can give you information on Initiative 182. This would be to allow dispensaries in the state of Montana. Uh, Chris Lindsay, the attorney with uh, Montana Normal, says, quote, we do not yet know what the basis is for the law enforcement activity, and so we are not in a position to speculate. What we can say is the best way to minimize law enforcement activity against marijuana-related businesses is through a meaningful regulatory system. Montana's system is practically non-existent and falls short of practically any standard. Montanans may soon be in a position to change that 
whether it's through the voter initiative process currently underway or through the state legislature next year. Either way, we hope Montana can significantly improve the current law. End quote. That's the state of medical cannabis in Montana. The breaking news, DEA raiding Montana buds in the state of Montana earlier this morning. Well, that was really horrible. No, oh, you're always complaining. Yes, it was really horrible. What's going down in Montana? Montana kind of gets forgotten in the talk about medical marijuana states. It's it's the one where where medical marijuana has gone seriously backwards. Where where everyone's complaining about Washington State or Oregon. Uh, hold your tears and learn a little bit more about Montana. And that happened without legalization. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be. The Vuber way. Marijuana is not addictive, but listening to the Russ Belleville Show is. It's time to Hemp Resent with Inadina Stanger. I say to you with all the fervor of my soul that God intended men to be free. Rebellion against tyranny is a righteous cause. And I believe that with every ounce of my soul, we are fighting a righteous cause because people need nature. Marijuana! Hemp presents only on Cannabis Radio. Sweet sativa. The Russ Belville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest growing business association in the fastest growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel One on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. Promoting the end of adult cannabis prohibition is easy because we have facts, science, reason, compassion, evidence, truth, and logic on our side. It's even easier when researchers catalog it all for us. Learn how to gather the facts on marijuana use, arrests, seizures, rehabs, drug tests, and more on this edition of Drug War Data Mining. Today in the Drug War Data Mines, we take a look at a story in the New York Times, which uh, reflects in their business day column about a hiring hurdle, finding workers who can pass a drug test. And the data from this comes from Quest Diagnostics. It's the largest employer drug testing firm in the country. They've been compiling this data since 1988, and it's always brought to us hilariously by dr barry sample that is the guy's name the guy from the drug testing company is dr barry sample anyway dr sample puts forth this uh, data every year and finds that for the second straight year since 1988 the second straight year there's been an increase 
in the percentage of American workers who tested positive for illicit drugs. It's up to 4.7% in 2014, up from 4.3% in 2013, which was up from 4.1% in 2012. And 2013 was the first year they had ever seen any increase, right? Like when they first did this, when they first started drug testing in, in 1988, they were getting like 13%. 13% of the people failing the drug tests, and then that's gone down every year since 1988. It's often been used by these drug testing providers to say, see, it's working. See, we're drug testing people, and see, fewer people are t- taking drugs. Well, what they're finding is that that's not actually true. First of all, what happened in the first few years for the steepest declines in drug testing positives was people learned how to beat the drug tests. People learned, oh, oh, I see, we just have to stop smoking pot for a few weeks and then we'll pass these things. Or, oh, oh, I see, we just need to drink some of these uh, fluids uh, and take some of these vitamins for a little while. And that's how, oh, I see, right? They found ways, oh, we can just sneak in some fake urine. In a fake dong, and we can pass it that way. Oh, okay. So that's where a lot of the decrease came. And another part of the decrease came when people found there was a drug test involved in a job, they just decided not to take it. In fact, that's in the New York Times piece here. It says data on the scope of the problem is sketchy because figures on job applicants who test positive for drugs miss the many people who simply skip tests they cannot pass. And so the whole gist of this article and it's got calvina fay showing up in there and a bunch of these different employers complaining that oh darn it we just can't find enough people that'll work for us the number one reason we can't hire enough workers is they can't find enough people to pass a drug test this was in georgia uh governor nathan deal worried about that one of these guys is talking about, hey, what we ought to do here is uh, people who test positive for drugs, uh, we'll give them drug counseling and job placement assistance. Because what's the opposite, opposite of that, he said? There, people needed to fill jobs are turned away, and it's pretty much a national issue. We just can't find enough people that can pass the drug test. In a, uh this is in Colorado. They, they talked to the owner of a roofing company. He says, to find a roofer or a painter that can pass a drug test is unheard of. And that was before Colorado legalized marijuana. He said he tried to, to diversify three years ago by recruiting white workers, vetting about 80 people. But he said, quote, as soon as I say criminal background check drug test, they're out the door, end quote. And so... What's going on here? What's going on here is that people are increasingly not accepting from their employer a mandate that they give up their freedom. What everyone knows about this drug testing is that it's not really drug testing. It's not catching the people that drink. You can go drink and go take your drug test drunk. In fact, I recommend it. Take your drug test drunk. <laughs> Why not? They're not testing for that. People going to work hang with hangovers all the time who are a far greater productivity and safety risk than anybody who smoked pot the night before. In fact, the person who smoked pot the night before probably got a good night's sleep. It's probably more alert. But we recognize it's not a drug test because it's not catching the people that are drinking. 
And it's not a drug test because it's not really catching the people that are using any other drugs like LSD, mushrooms, heroin, cocaine, methamphetamine, ecstasy. I could name 12 more that flush out of your system by the end of the weekend. So it's not catching those people. Yeah, you might catch the guy who's got cocaine in his system if he was doing lines before the drug test. You might catch him. But if, if you weren't catching that guy just through a hiring process and an interview, you got bigger problems. No, what the drug testing is all about, Dr. Barry Sample, is catching people who smoke pot. That's really its major focus, catching people who smoke pot. And, and we've put our employers in a position of thinking that it's a reasonable moral choice to say, look, if you can't stop smoking pot, well, by God, you shouldn't have a job. What, what does one have to do with the other? It, this some, it, it's like a loyalty oath. It's like requiring a, a fealty to the drug regime. Okay, I accept that I have to be a drinker. If I want to have a job, I have to be a drinker, not a pot smoker. I accept it. People never look at it that way. But to, to those of us who are tokers, to those of us for whom this is a major part of our life, that's how it feels. It feels like, it sounds as silly to us, like, I have tales from my mom, who uh, is left-handed, who grew up at a time, and, and her father, also who is left-handed, they grew up at a time when at school they would have their left hands tied behind their back to force them to have to write right-handed, to deny who they actually were, who they were, for no logical reason other than we had a superstition about left-handedness. That's how silly it feels to us when we have to take drug tests to get employment and you're complaining you can't find enough good workers and you're rejecting us while you're taking the drinkers and the pill poppers. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct! Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber, doctor's orders. Less heat, <laughs> more flavor. You can find Radical Russ online everywhere. Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, YouTube, SoundCloud, Snapchat, LinkedIn, and Boise State University's 2400 baud modem bulletin board system from 1985. It's time for Cannabis Facts about teen drug use from Robert Platchorn's TheSilverTour.org. This message is supported by our donors and Hemp, Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at hempinc.com. A recent survey by the U.S. Centers for Disease Control indicates that in states that have legalized medical marijuana, the rate of marijuana consumption among high school students has not increased. In fact, in legal states like Colorado, teen use has actually decreased significantly. It's simply no longer a big deal for teenagers in legal states. 
This was Cannabis Facts from the Silvertour.org, an educational nonprofit supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at hempinc.com. Coming soon to a city near you, Cannabis Finance Bootcamp. Get all your cannabis accounting, legal, and compliance questions answered by their knowledgeable panel of industry experts who want to help your cannabis business boom. Whether you're a grower, dispensary operator, or a newcomer to the field, your cannabis business needs Cannabis Finance Bootcamp. For information on upcoming events, visit CannabisFinanceBootcamp.com. Mark Twain once said that when there's a gold rush, it's a good time to be in the pick and shovel business. Today, we look at the rapidly evolving markets in the marijuana green rush in our Canna Business Chronicles. Welcome, everyone. Radical Russ here at the Marijuana Business Conference and Expo. And we just heard the presentation from Nurse Heather, another host here on Cannabis Radio. Hi, Nurse Heather. Hi, Russ. It's good to be here with you and your listeners. Yes, it's great to be here. And uh, make sure you check out uh, Nurse Heather's show, Good News with Nurse Heather. And uh, you're doing that about weekly, aren't you? We, we tried to. Every once in a while, I get pulled away to do things like in Florida, and I didn't get a show done this week. But that's okay. We'll be, we'll be back. There's lots of great shows on CanvasRadio.com. So you were just uh, discussing the basics of cannabis for the people here that uh, don't know a whole lot about it. When you're talking to these new uh, industry professionals, what are some of the most common things they want to know? Well, I think they're just trying to understand what is... What, what is this all about? And my big question to them today was, why cannabis? Why, with all the plants around the world that they could get into those industries, why cannabis? And I think they really needed to understand that there is a spirit behind this plant. It is so beneficial as a phytocannabinoid to help with endocannabinoid deficiency as a supplement. And it's just good for health. It's good for humanity. It's good for our environment. And hopefully we were able to teach some people a few things this morning. I'm sure they picked up a whole bunch. The presentation was amazing. And uh, one of the things that I worry about sometimes is when we look at the healthcare industry, the mainstream healthcare industry, so dominated by issues of money and profit, what do you think we need to do as we evolve this medical cannabis industry to avoid those pitfalls? Well, I I think we need to remember what health care is and it's caring for health and a lot of the pharmaceutical medications that we as medical professionals are, are forced to use because there's no other option or this is the best available option is a pharmaceutical I think that we need to step back from some of those chemical things and look to nature. It's not just cannabis. It's, it, cannabis is a wonderful tool but it's not a silver bullet. We need to take a look at the way that we exercise, the way that we eat, let thy food be thy medicine, thy medicine be thy food. And so cannabis, I believe, is giving a wake-up call to our medical industry where they can, in our medical community, where they're, they're saying there's something to this. Our patients are getting better. They're getting off of pharmaceuticals. What's happening here? And although some medical professionals are resistant, others are very intrigued and we're smart. We're, we, we're science minds. And so when you start looking at the evidence-based, uh, the, the research out there, 
it's hard to it's hard to argue that cannabis is not beneficial in some way, shape, or form. Right. The folks here involved in the marijuana industry side, of course, have a profit motive to get themselves educated. On the medical community side, I've often heard a, a stat that says something like one out of seven doctors even hears of the endocannabinoid system in their education. What can we do to fix the, the structure of medical education? Because I know groups like the AMA aren't really on our side. Well, and actually, the... The medical associations are on our side. They do understand. And you're right. It's 13% of medical schools mention the endocannabinoid system. That doesn't mean that they go into depth or teach about it. They mention it in only 13% of our medical schools. When I went to nursing school, I didn't learn a thing about the endocannabinoid system. And so this is really where we make the impact. We need to be in the nursing schools, medical schools, and pharmacology schools educating about this system and the different constituents of cannabis so that these cannabinoids can be used therapeutically for patients with uh, they're just so gentle I, I, when we're comparing them to to different pharmaceuticals I just can't I can't push another medication it's been probably five years since I've administered a medication other than cannabis and I just won't do it you know I, when I think of that uh, medical school stat that you gave me is imagine if only 13% of mechanics had ever heard of the transmission system. Well, that's exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, it's well, the, the endocannabinoid system is the balancing center, the homeostasis center. It keeps all of our other systems in checks and balances. It keeps it all working it smoothly and moving fluidly. When, when you get out of whack or you get off balance, you need something to bring you back. And unfortunately, a lot of these pharmaceutical medications that are given... They, they throw the body even further out of balance. And so we really need to look at nature the way that it used to be, where plants were always utilized to help bring well-being to the patients. And That's that syndrome where we have uh, the pill for the pain and then the pill for the constipation for the pain pill and then the pill for the, the pill for the pill for the pill. That's it. It's called polypharmacology. And uh, one big word, polypharmacology. <laughs> um, but one of the things that I saw in my nursing practice was the reduction of pain medications, the reduction of blood pressure medications, diabetic medications, because that's what happens when you get your systems back in check and balance. And then, of course, that's not something that uh, the Pharmaceutical Manufacturers Research Association wants to hear, is it? Well, they want to make sure that it's legal so that they can compound their molecules together. They already have Miranol. It's been on the, the market for a very long time. They prescribe it to cancer patients and, and other patients So for nausea, vomiting, pain. So they will get their piece in this, but I'm here to say that... God made cannabis, and I will trust God <laughs> over man and their pharmaceutical compounds any day. And that's been a frustrating part of the development of the medical uh, cannabis world is we started in the West with whole plant. By 2010, we start to get, you can't home grow, but you can buy it at a dispensary. Now, lately, Pennsylvania, New York, Minnesota, you can't even get whole plant. You have to get some sort of compound. Do you feel that we can bring them around, bring these people around to going back to whole plant? We have to. It's the safest way. Um, we, we just have to allow this plant to be. She is here to teach us, uh, here to give us love, teach us compassion. And it is such safe, gentle plant medicine that we should not tell a patient that they have to take it in one form or another. It should be available for a patient to utilize however is most beneficial for them. 
Nurse Heather, give our listeners uh, some contact information or some great websites where they could learn more about this. All right. You can go to azcna.com. That's the Arizona Cannabis Nurses Association. You can also go to cannabisradio.com and check out Good News with Nurse Heather. We have lots of wonderful uh, guests that come on and and talk about their good news. And I'm also on Facebook and Instagram as Cannabis Nurse Heather. So come check me out and follow along. All right. Thank you so much, Nurse Heather. We appreciate the education you're giving to everyone here at the conference. Thank you, Russ. You're amazing. Keep doing good work. Thank you. Welcome back, everybody. Radical Russ here on the floor of the Marijuana Business Conference and Expo. It's day three here for me, day two for the actual expo. And we're here at the desk for Mass Roots. Howdy. How's it going today? Tell folks your name and a little bit about Mass Roots. Most of it. My name is uh, Dustin Carter. I uh, work for Mass Roots out of uh, Denver, Colorado. We are essentially the largest cannabis social media company uh, in the world as of right now. Uh, a little over 775,000 users on the platform, uh, 10,000 businesses also posting. It's a way to really experience and share you know, everything you want to do in cannabis itself. Uh, you want to find smoking buddies, meet with people, see how, uh, what strains are working for other people, and sharing the images to go along with it. It's a great concept. This has uh, become pretty important for the cannabis community as I've recognized that uh, Instagram and Facebook have been shutting down yeah. a lot of yeah. those types of accounts. Yeah, it's been, it's been a really big thing. I think the biggest one recently everyone kind of knows about is Dixie Elixirs, of course, lost their account. And they were somewhere in the 60,000 range. And, you know, we're very close with uh, Trip Keeper and Dixie as well. So it was really exciting for him to really come over and really start, you know, endorsing Mass Roots, using us a lot more. And also understanding and kind of letting people know, hey, Facebook and Instagram doesn't want you, but Mass Roots does. Yeah, we're just going to build it ourselves, folks. We, we, don't, need, we don't need them. Uh, one of the concerns people have, since we're talking about you know, something that's still federally illegal in a lot of places, is whether or not they can get online with this in a non-legalization or non-medical state. Yeah, actually, everything's uh, actually geofenced for what it is right now. So on iOS, when we were kicked out in Apple, we made a, uh, an agreement with Tim Cook to... For every state that has at least medical marijuana, you can download that through the iOS app. If you have Google Play or even online on the web, you are perfectly fine. You can download it. There's no issues right there. But if you're iOS, it is only de- dedicated to the states that are the 25 states that have at least medical marijuana. So we do stay within all the lines where everyone has to be with cannabis. So yet another reason why I picked Android. Exactly. There you go. <laughs> so a, lot of, a lot of us at the office were huge Android fans. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> so uh, another consideration, since we're dealing with something that's federally legal, is people might worry about the security and whether or not you know, law enforcement, you know, we've heard all sorts of stories about how they hack into places and try to swipe people's iPhone codes. How well protected is the mass roots data? Our, our back-end system is actually very well protected. I mean, we have a, a 36-person team back in Denver, but over 22 of them are dedicated to just back-end work security, making sure everything's secure in general. When you do sign up for the app, you only are requested for an email address, your username for the app, and a password. So we don't have a lot of private information that is going to be given away to anyone there, and everything's very secure. We have not had an issue, nor do we foresee an issue with having that coming up in the future. And people's email and account, that stays with Massroots? Do you uh, share it with any other entities or marketing? No, never, never. That is with us. That's our own thing. That's just for us to be able to send people an e-blast if they want to opt into our e-blast list. That's all it is right there. So it's all between us. All right, so how do people get involved? People get involved uh, several ways. Just download the app, go to your uh, Google Play Store, go to the iOS, download it, check it out, uh, have a great time with it, and just enjoy whatever you want to do with cannabis and Mass Roots. All right, check out Mass Roots, everybody. I'm Radical Russ on Mass Roots, so uh, we can chat there as well. Thanks so much, Dustin, for talking to us. Uh, Of course, Russ. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure having you. Hi, everyone. Radical Russ here on the floor of the Marijuana Business Conference and Expo in Orlando. At the desk for my role, rolling paper, and... Maria Elena? 
Hi, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. I hope I got that name correct. Yes, you did. Very well. <laughs> wow, lucky me. So this is really interesting. You're holding this little, it looks like almost like a like a tube of lip balm, maybe. Tell us what this is. It looks like a chapstick, but it's not. Exactly. We have a unique dispensing system in rolling paper. It's a plastic container sealed with ultrasound, so it doesn't have any contaminants to the paper. Holds 14 feet inside of paper. So you just open it. You get the paper. You pull it out to the size that you want. You close it and you rip it. It's all 100% hemp paper with natural glue. It's acacia gum, chlorine-free. And the most important thing is that the container is water-resistant. You can take it anywhere, put it in your back pocket. It won't get damaged. The paper stays intact. I know that uh, I'll have, say, for example, a, a pack of zigzags in my wallet, uh-huh. and they start to stick together. Exactly. This won't. It won't happen. All the paper is inside. Even if you open this container, it'll never get ruined. Wow, that's amazing. And you've got them in, uh, looks like in orange. Two different, we have it in two different sizes, two different widths. It's an inch and a half and two inches and five different colors. Wow. You know, your color, your style, your mood. No flavor. The paper has no flavor. Oh, that's amazing. So where can people find this? Right now we're based in Miami, but we're also in Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And um, we have it in several stores in Miami and Key West. Fantastic. It's MyRoll, M-Y-R-O-L-L. Is there a website? Yes. It's MyRoll.us. MyRoll.us. Check it out, everybody. Looks looks really cool. Thanks for talking to us. Thank you so much. Great stuff there from the Marijuana Business Conference last week in Orlando, Florida. We'll get Doug Fine on the line. He was in a uh, cell phone dead zone. He texted me said it would not be a good time to call, but he's on the road and we could catch him in about an hour. So after our 420 break, we'll visit with Doug Fine, the organic cowboy, and get our hemp day hump day update that I know you're all looking forward to. In the meantime, we'll continue on here with hour one and coming up next, the radical rant. Hey parents, guess what? Sugar is a drug. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. I also believe we need a fence. The problem is if El Chapo builds a tunnel under the fence, we have to be able to deal with that, too. Okay. Maybe you're high, too. Fortunate to have Michael Brewer of Brewer and Shipley. Your signature top ten song, One Toke Over the Line. I've read a couple different versions of, of what the tune's origins are. What's the true story? We were playing a little club in Kansas City. A friend stopped by with some really good hash. We stepped out back and came back in. We are tuning up in the dressing room, and Tom said, 
Whew, man, I'm really one took over the line. I just cracked up. I thought it was hysterical. We literally wrote that song just entertaining ourselves and to make our friends laugh. It's time to Hemp Resent, only on Cannabis Radio. Hey everybody, it's Radical Russ here from 420 Radio, inviting you to be like me and get your ink done at Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo, Fort Worth's most female-friendly, clean, sterile, awesome tattoo shop. Thomas and his crew are true artists who can design you a custom piece or use a design you bring in. Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo also offers all styles of tattooing as well as piercings and all-around fun. In the DFW area, stop by Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo and tell them Radical Russ sent you. Trust me, it'll feel awesome. must wage what I have called total war against public enemy number one. I support a change in law to end federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. That marijuana, pot, grass, whatever you want to call it, is probably the most dangerous drug. Some think there won't be room for them in jail. We'll make them. I experimented with marijuana a time or two and I didn't like it and didn't inhale. One major responsibility is to encourage people to use less drugs. Entirely legitimate topic uh, for debate. Radical Rant. Well, I was uh, reading this post on Huffington Post by the CEO of the American Heart Association and it's called Dear Big Soda, It's Time for a Change. Uh Uh-oh. You know that if there's a big involved, there's some nefarious chicanery afoot. Big tobacco, big pharma, big marijuana, big oil, big government, and now big soda, which is alternately big pop in the Pacific Northwest and big Coke in the South, regardless of which soda pop you're talking about. But I digress. The gist of the post was there is a lot of sugar in the drinks we consume. It's not just soda pop these days, but also fruit drinks and sports drinks and milky beverages somewhat resembling coffee. And that's bad, you see, because it makes us obese. And then we have heart attacks and we die. And then, of course, there's the obligatory Watsy. What about the children? CEO Nancy Brown of the American Heart Association writes, quote, It's time for beverage companies to stop marketing sugar-sweetened drinks to children. We also call on celebrities to treasure their conscience and stop selling out to slick junk food and sugary drink marketing campaigns. End quote. Uh Uh-huh. But, you know, it's not just a call for big soda to voluntarily rein in their marketing practices. Brown and the AHA also state, quote, We have a moral imperative to raise even greater awareness of the physical harms of excess sugar and develop public policy solutions that can directly impact consumption, end quote. Hmm, public policy solutions that could directly impact consumption. What could that mean? Sin taxes. The American Heart Association promotes solutions like Berkeley, California's penny-per-ounce soda tax and Philadelphia's proposed three-cents-per-ounce soda tax. Now, three cents an ounce doesn't sound much to you until you realize that 
a can of Coke is 12 ounces and a 12 pack of 12 ounce cans is 144 ounces. And that means an extra $4 and 32 cents on your 12 pack in Philly. But don't worry. You can still buy bottled water for a buck 99. No taxes included. The other part uh, AHA wants to do here is badger restaurants to remove sweetened drink choices. As Brown writes, quote, Our efforts to have kids grow up eating in a healthy way has already enjoyed success by removing sugary drinks from some kids' meals at a few of the big-name restaurant chains, and we continue to support advocates who are working to expand these efforts. We believe that kids' meals are one of the first entry points for Big Soda to market and influence lifelong unhealthy behavior in children, particularly those in low-income areas with more fast-food restaurants than healthy options which must be stopped, end quote. Hmm. Do all these arguments uh, sound kind of familiar to you? Big so-and-so is marketing to kids, and big so-and-so is targeting minorities with its harmful, addictive product. So we need to overtax and overregulate big so-and-so to coerce people into doing the right thing. Well, let's just dispense with the pretense, shall we? Sugar is a drug. It's as addictive and harmful as any crystal white powder out there. If you are a parent and you are allowing your kids to consume lots of sugar, you're harming them more than if they were smoking weed. Oh, what? That's that's too extreme for you, huh? Sugar, sugar doesn't alter your mind like, say, cocaine, huh? Well, researchers at the University of Bordeaux in France concluded, quote, Sugar and sweet reward can not only substitute to addictive drugs like cocaine, but can even be more rewarding and attractive, end quote. And, of course, there's no doubt that sugar can wreck your body. Type 2 diabetes, anyone? Also, consider the DSM-5, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual. This is the Psychiatry's Diagnosis Manual. And check out some of its checklist of symptoms for substance abuse disorder. And keep these in mind and think about anybody you know with a sweet tooth or hell, even yourself last Thanksgiving dinner. Here's some of the symptoms. Using for longer periods of time than you intended or using larger amounts than intended. Hell, that's everybody at the uh, Golden Corral Buffet, right? Wanting to reduce use but being unsuccessful doing so. Well, wouldn't that explain a whole lot of the diet programs that we see? Spending excessive time getting, using, and recovering from use. No people that binge eat and then have to take a nap, right? Cravings that are so intense it is difficult to think about anything else. You ever known anybody that's got that? Got that sweet tooth? Gotta have some chocolate? Gotta have some chocolate? Continuing to use, even though they are aware it is causing or worsening physical and psychological problems. Every fat person you see at a McDonald's. So while society was freaking out about the growing acceptance of pot and celebrating the culture of alcohol, it apparently paid no heed to sugar, winding its way into almost every substance we consume. There's like 50 different names for sugar, by the way. You have to get educated on what they are, the fructoses and the sucroses and all of that. But once you know what they are, take a look at the ingredients on things you wouldn't expect to have sugar in them. Salsa. 
Hot salsa, for God's sake, has sugar in it. Wheat bread has sugar in it. I mean, it's just, it's the list of things that don't have sugar in them are shorter than the list of things that do by a long shot. That in turn has led to an increase in obesity. Rand Corporation researchers found that compared to alcohol, tobacco, and poverty, quote, obesity is the most serious problem. It is linked to a big increase in chronic health conditions and significantly higher health expenditures. And it affects more people than smoking, heavy drinking, or poverty, end quote. Rand also notes that, quote, approximately 23% of Americans are obese, an additional 36% are overweight, end quote. That's almost three out of five people who are overweight or obese. So while they were all worried about us marketing marijuana to the children, they seemed to turn a blind eye to an entire store aisle filled with colorful boxes, literally filled with marshmallows and chocolate chip cookies, that they call breakfast cereal. Well, all right then. Since the do-gooders seem to know how to protect the children from the dangers of marijuana, let's just apply those regulations to sugar, shall we? First, absolutely no marketing of sugar to kids. This means no packaging of sugar-infused foods with cartoon characters, no advertising on morning TV or cartoon networks, and all the products must come in childproof, opaque containers. Second, any place that sells sugar-infused products must be a thousand feet from any school, park, or playground, and there can only be a limited number of such places that are subject to local bans. And third, you must be 21 to purchase sugar-infused products, which can only be sold in 10 milligram servings with a maximum of 100 milligrams per package. Well, I mean, if we're going to uh, recognize it as a drug and everything. And ironically... It turns out that cannabis consumers seem to be less likely to be obese, and cannabinoids may help regulate insulin production and reduce the risk of diabetes. So I'm sorry, I'm no longer scared by these what about the children. I no longer take them seriously, I guess is what I should say. I no longer take seriously these concerns of what about the children, marketing the gummy bears to the children, will the pot be attractive to the children, while everybody seems to turn a blind eye to the marketing of sugar to kids and seems to just allow that to happen. Sugar is a drug. And, and I'm just stunned that we can accept this substance into our lives, that we've pretty much given up the fight against sugar and fast food and alcohol. We just let those run riot, but we're going to pick on marijuana. How about we take some of the attitude we've had toward alcohol and sugar, apply that toward marijuana, and take some of our attitude about marijuana and apply that to the alcohol and sugar? What? No? Was that a little crazy of me? How about we just treat all adults like adults? How's that? We treat people like adults. We avoid marketing to kids. We let adults make decisions. And recognize that all you're going to do by instituting some stupid penny per ounce or three cent per ounce soda tax is jack the price of soda up and that's going to disproportionately affect poor people if the people are drinking the soda now they're going to continue to drink the soda they're they're addicted to it you see all you do when you use sin taxes is you punish the people that are most harmed by the substance 
people that can afford the $1.99 bottled water and, and afford the, the sparkling sodas and whatever else might replace them. Also, consider how many of those people motivated to not pay the soda, the sugary soda tax would then switch to the diet drinks that have aspartame in them. Ah, so many drugs, so little time. I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us. Stay tuned. Hour 2 is next. And until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down super. It's time for Toker Talk Radio, the voice of the marijuana nation. What are you people? On dope? Where you can toke. I inhale. Uh, or you can talk. I experimented with marijuana and didn't inhale. Or you can toke and talk. Ten federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. While we talk about toke on Toker Talk Radio. So, by the way, when it comes to pot, you know, if you're 40 years old, you live in a log cabin in Oregon, you got 12 giant pot plants in your backyard. Have a ball. Live from beautiful Potland, Oregon at Rolla J Studios. Freedom! Freedom! Hey, this is great! Freedom! Yes, I can of it! Plus your calls live at 971-533-7111. They're walking on their pants with their cap on backwards, listening to the end of a man, the Snoopy Snoopy Poop Dog. What's to keep somebody from getting all potted up on weed and then getting behind the wheel? Gateway theory doesn't work. It's a reality. Holland, is it real? We're locking up people that take a couple of puffs of marijuana, and and the, the next thing you know, they got ten years. And now, here's your host, the guru of ganja graphics, the sultan of sativa statistics, and the worst nightmare of a reefer mad prohibitionist. A polite, perspicacious, productive pothead with a propensity for PowerPoint. Radical Russ Belleville. All right, welcome back, everybody. Time for Hour 2 Toker Talk Radio. we got a guest coming up. After our 420 break, we'll be getting in touch with Doug Fine, the organic cowboy. We've already got a good question in the chat room. If you've got questions on industrial hemp, get them into the chat room, and I'll ask as soon as we get Doug on the line. Or you can call yourself. The phone line here is open, 971-533-7111. That's 971-533-7111. And hello to all the folks in the chat room. Checking out the chat room right now, and uh, Jackie had a question for me on the chat room. Want to know how my date with Roscoe is. So... Just to catch up, if you're a new listener, uh, this year, after 15 years of marriage, I've gotten divorced, and it's not pleasant. <laughs> it never is. I don't think anybody's thrilled by the prospect. But um, anyway, in the in the divorce, I've lost my dog, Roscoe. And Roscoe, he's he's actually right here. He's behind me, uh, sitting on the chair at uh, Roller J Studios. But uh, I lost Roscoe because... 
Well, you know, it wasn't like we fought over or anything, but, uh, uh, you know, my life is kind of, uh, you know, I, I live on the road mostly. So, you know, I, I just got back from, from being on the road 34 days straight, as a matter of fact. And, and that's no, that, there's no way, you know, I could care for a dog, you know, give him the, uh, uh, the care that he needs. And, and what it had been the situation, you know, uh, when I was married was, you know, I could go out on the road for a week or two and come back and, you know, of course the dog's taken care of cause my wife would be there. Right. So well, that's just not an option now. So the logical thing to do was to, uh, let her have the dog and, you know, which is good. She needs them too. You know, she's so, um, anyway, the reality of this is that my, my ex-wife, uh, is, um, she's getting a new job, actually not technically ex yet. The papers aren't finalized, but you know, anyway, she's getting a job, uh, that will move her to Coral Gables, Florida. So, um, of course she'll move to Coral Gables and she'll take the dog with her. And so this may be like the last, uh, last day I get to see my dog. Anyway, we went out yesterday and, uh, took a, took a long walk to the, uh, to the dog park, threw the ball around. He's a happy dog, but I also think he's, uh, I, I'll, I'll, he's a little, uh, stressed out by it. You know, I, I think there's been so much upheaval and I've been away for so long that I think this whole situation is just kind of actually stressing him out. So it was more for me than for him, I guess. And tonight he'll go back home and, and that'll be, uh. I'll probably be the end, uh, probably the last I see him. So, but it's uh, been a remarkable dog because I was never a dog person. You see, always been a cat person most of my life. Never liked dogs. Uh, had all sorts of complaints about them. <laughs> and then uh, ten years ago, I met Roscoe, and uh, it was weird. It was dog love. It was it was it was love at first sight. Literally, I'd never had that for a human being, but had that for this dog. And he absolutely converted me into a dog person. It's like, I finally communicated with one, right? Like I, I could finally understand dog to understand the kind of the, the genetic heritage we share, like dogs and humans. We, we share a coevolution, you know, we made them what they are and they helped make us what we are in that sense. I think cannabis is like the dog of plants too. We made it what it is. We, we evolved it to our purposes and then it evolved us as well so anyway that's how the dog date went still going for the next couple hours thanks for asking anyway we're going to take a break and uh, when we come back we'll take a look more legalization happening in what arkansas no that's right arkansas when we come back This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. You're listening to Radical Russ on the Russ Belleville Show. 
I'm Radical Russ from the Russ Belleville Show. Keith Strop, the founder of Normal, is here. The single most important victory will be California. We've got Steve D'Angelo. Well, the state of cannabis affairs in California is in flux. The guru of ganja, Ed Rosenthal. It's uh, better for people to be using concentrates. Weekdays live at 6 Eastern, 3 Pacific, exclusively on CannabisRadio.com. New beginner guitars and banjos are often constructed much better than ones built before your time. Why struggle? Get a new instrument or fix the old one. The trusted professionals at the Fingerboard Extension will evaluate your instrument for free. Repairs are priced for people who work for a living. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. Remember, friends, there's more to life than marijuana. I just can't remember what it is. Why'd I come in here? This is the Rush Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. All right, welcome back, everybody. And we continue to track the progress of marijuana legalization nationwide. And I'm really excited about Arkansas. Interesting situation. Uh, the Attorney General has approved uh, the Arkansas Cannabis Amendment for petition gathering. So it, uh, it is both medical and recreational. And it would allow doctors to prescribe medical marijuana, and they mean recommend. <laughs> How long is it going to take? I guess longer than 20 years. It's going to take, it's been 20 years now that there's been medical marijuana in America and the media still, still writes the word prescription for medical marijuana. It's like, (sighs) here's a note, media, nobody can prescribe medical marijuana because it's a schedule one substance. Schedule one substances cannot be prescribed. All of the estates that have legalized medical marijuana have done so through doctor's recommendations. Okay. The word is recommendation or recommend, not prescribe or prescription. Recommend. I don't know why that grates on me so much, but it's, it's such a simple thing. It, but you know what? It's not a simple thing. It's an important thing because it, it, it highlights the absurdity of what we're talking about here. That, that, that we're so terrified of marijuana as a therapeutic agent that doctors can't prescribe it. They can only suggest it. They can recommend it. Well, I don't know. It might be a good idea. <laughs> and by forcing, if, if, if these stories constantly use the word recommend, 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 maybe it would cause people to wonder what they're, why they're using that word and to know a little more about why they have to use that word. It's also important in the history of medical marijuana to understand that even recommend was something we had to fight for. This was at the very beginning of medical marijuana when the Clinton administration, Bill Clinton, and specifically his chief of staff, Rahm Emanuel, yeah, stellar Democrats, them. Anyway, Rahm Emanuel was coming down hard on doctors in California, and the, the idea was to get the Justice Department to threaten to take away their uh, prescription rights for even recommending medical marijuana. For even just talking about it, they wanted to gag doctors. The Clinton administration wanted to have a full-on gag order 
on doctors in California from even talking about cannabis. It wanted to, and this had to go to the Supreme Court. Now we won in the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court said, "Look, that's you know recommendations. That's that's free speech, man. That's you're regulating the content of someone's speech, and that's a very strict uh, judicial review that those kind of cases get. You can't restrict the content of someone's speech, and that's why it has to be recommendation. And I think that's an important part of medical marijuana that the public should understand." is that even the free speech idea of talking about cannabis was something we had to fight for. Anyway, this Arkansas Cannabis Amendment would allow doctors to prescribe, recommend, medical marijuana, which U.S. congressional candidate Steve Isaacson argues would benefit people with chronic pain, cancer, and even post-traumatic stress. And of course, the opponent, uh, State Representative Charlie Collins, said, We already have a pharmacy system that's been working just fine for every other drug and an FDA approval system that is working just fine for every other drug. Oh, really, Charlie? (laughs) Just fine. Have you ever heard of a drug recall? You know those happen from time to time, right, Representative Collins? Drug recalls when they find out something like Vioxx is causing heart attacks or they find out something like thalidomide is causing babies to be born with severe deformities. You know, there's been thousands of drugs that have been recalled, right? At least hundreds that have been recalled, right? That that every single drug that was recalled by the FDA is a drug that the FDA said was perfectly safe for human consumption. The fact that drug recalls exist tell us this FDA approval system isn't all it's cracked up to be. And... And it's such a disingenuous response from our opponents. Well, we've got a pharmacy system and an FDA. Right, and it's Schedule 1, so the pharmacy system and the FDA can't touch it. Next, self-fulfilling logic. And, and that's the, the genius of the Controlled Substances Act and, and the international treaties that support it, is they're built in such a way that the standard of review for what they say is based on what they say. Like, if the DEA says there's no medical use, accepted medical use for marijuana in the United States, it doesn't matter that 24 states have an accepted medical use for marijuana. That That's not... The guide by whether or not the DEA followed its own rules is not whether those rules comport with reality. It's whether or not the DEA's rules comport with the DEA's rules. It's, re- it's really as insane as that. The DEA only has to prove that it wasn't arbitrary arbitrary and capricious when it comes up with these guidelines. And what defines whether or not they were arbitrary and capricious is whether or not they followed their own rules. And what their own rules say is they can decide whether or not something has medical value. So when you point out that 24 other states say that there's medical value, that doesn't enter into it. The only attack you've got is, did the DEA follow their own rules? And well, yeah, they did. They wrote their own rules to be able to follow them. That's how insane the prohibition of marijuana is. And that's why those little words to me matter. Things like recommendation versus prescription matter to me. So this is not only a medical bill, though, in Arkansas. Arkansas Cannabis Amendment would also let people 21 and over use marijuana for recreational purposes. That's also a word that brings up some difficulty, doesn't it? Recreational purposes. 
recreational marijuana, recreational drug user. The word recreation and recreational implies a, a, an optional activity, a frivolity, if you will, something that's, uh, um, you know, something that you can choose to do or choose not to do something that you're doing for pleasure, something that's an enjoyable activity that you're, that you're planning to do. That's what, that's what recreational marijuana comes to. And it seems a little weird because recreational also, you know, brings up frames of camping and the woods and, you know, big trucks and, you know, recreational vehicles, right? Big, big campers and so on. But also recreational league, recreational sports, recreational, uh, but you don't get recreational associated with drinking. Nobody ever describes themselves as a recreational drinker. They'll say they're a social drinker, but they won't say I'm a recreational drinker. So is that, I mean, we're more social pot smokers, right? We're, well, you know, you know me, I always get back to all uses, none yet. But if we have to have something to distinguish between the medical use and the non-medical use, I'm fine with saying adult use or personal use or social use. Any of those is better than recreational use. Regardless of what we call it, let's stop locking people up for it. That's what I'm all for. And that's why this Arkansas amendment is, uh, is pretty good. Uh, Collins here says legalization would send the wrong message to our kids. I always love the wrong message argument. He says, the truth is, as long as the federal government does not approve of marijuana for legal use, if you are smoking marijuana, you're committing a crime against the federal law. <laughs> oh, no. But this idea that, that if we legalize it, we're sending the wrong message, wrong message to the kids. So what is the message? Is the message that we're sending that, hey, now that this thing's legal, it's a good thing? Because tobacco and alcohol are legal. So if making marijuana legal sends the wrong message to the kids, then keeping alcohol and tobacco legal has to send a much bigger message, don't you think? Especially when alcohol has commercials on the Super Bowl, some of the cutest, best commercials. What kind of message is that sending to the kids? The message we're currently sending to the kids is that we've got to punish people and put them in cages for using something safer than alcohol, a natural plant. That's the message the kids get that there's a hypocrisy to our laws, that there, there are laws that are not meant to be trusted, that there are laws that are enacted for irrational and self-serving means. That's the message that gets sent to the kids through prohibition right now. Now, of course the, um, the uh, uh, the call for marijuana legalization in Arkansas gets a lot of play with the tax revenue. We say just last year the state of Colorado made eighty five million in tax revenue. Well, it's great that marijuana legalization is going to make money. I'm all for that. I just get wary of continuing to sell it on that basis. It doesn't matter whether it makes money or it costs money. We shouldn't be locking people up for the use of marijuana. That's simple. Arkansas, the cannabis amendment needs 85,000 signatures to be on the November ballot. It currently has over 20,000 signatures. And I'm not sure when the deadline is for Arkansas to get this on the ballot. I imagine sometime this summer. So there'll definitely be some work to do here. And 
I haven't heard of any major uh, financial support or organizational support on the national level for what's going on in Arkansas. And I think, you know, sometimes the national uh, reform movement stymies me a little bit because while you're not, you may not win in Arkansas or in Idaho or in Oklahoma, the cost of actually getting on the ballot and pushing it is so low compared to a California or an Illinois or Pennsylvania or something like that. Well, 85,000 signatures in Arkansas. I think it was 66,000 in Oklahoma. I think Idaho needs 68,000, something like that. What it would cost you'd cost. You could have a campaign there for $200,000 and have a decent campaign and really push the envelope on getting the message of marijuana reform anchored in some places in the, in the Intermountain West and the South that you never would have believed. mf I want more iced tea. <laughs> Thank you, Papa Bear. Hey, folks, it's 420 here in the Pacific Time Zone. We're going to take a break for a very important union-mandated safety meeting, and when we return, Doug Fine, the organic cowboy, the author of Too High to Fail, will be on with our Hemp Day Hump Day update. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be. The Vuber way. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. And if standing for the Constitution make you a wacko bird, then I am a very, very proud wacko bird. Okay. Maybe you're high, too. Georgia. Hi, this is Willie Nelson. Alcohol prohibition didn't work in the 1920s, and marijuana prohibition isn't working today. It's time we stopped arresting responsible marijuana smokers. It's the fair thing to do. For more information, contact Normal, the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. Call toll-free 888-67-NORML or visit their website at norml.org. With over six years of experience in the industry, New Era CPAs is one of the nation's leading cannabis accounting firms, helping hundreds of growers, dispensaries, and ancillary companies with their tax, legal, and business strategies. New Era CPAs offices cover the West Coast from Seattle to San Diego, and their skilled team is always available to help you take your business to the next level. Visit NewEraCPAs.com for more info and set up a consultation. Welcome to the New Era. legalization also ushers in the return of the American hemp industry. Get the latest news from the author of Hemp Bound and Too High to Fail, Doug Fine, in our Hemp Day Hump Day update. All right, welcome back to our delayed Hemp Day Hump Day update. We've got our favorite hempster on the line, Doug Fine. How you doing, Doug? Hey, doing great. Hailstorm in New Mexico. How you doing, Doug? <laughs> Fantastic. I you were in a you were in a bad reception area an, an hour ago. You've been on the road? 
That's right. We still are on the road, in fact, um, and the weather's still menacing, but we got reception here, so we pulled over because you don't want to miss Hemp Day Hump Day. That's where you got data on what's happening in the world of hemp. Well, you know, the last we caught up with you, we were at the United Nations. We were hanging out with Peruvians and Moroccans and all sorts of people from all over. Give people your impression of what went down at the U.N. Keeping aside anything to do with anything official inside the building, I'm just not even talking about this official session of this organization called by the, um, you know, presidents of three three countries. Um, I'm talking about the fact that largely on their own dime, um, people from all over the world came to express their opinion that, hey, world, get get with it. It's over the drug war thing. We everybody knows it was the wrong decision, and so. You know, in the continuing effort for there to be legitimacy in any kind of like international body, especially as represented by the United Nations, it's like you better stop playing around with these silly conventions. And the fantastic part about it for me was, as you mentioned, the coming together of people who are on the sustainable cultivation end. That's really what what matters most to me. And as you said, it was farmers from Morocco, Bolivia, Europe, all over North America, South America, people just that really weren't in Africa too. They really weren't interested at all in, in the drug war. And it wasn't all the same plant they were talking about either, but they were saying, let us grow what we want. The rest of the world should stay out of it. Yeah. I, sh- I share your uh, disdain for the actual session itself. <laughs> I mean, anything that starts with an outcome seems a little weird to me, but the demonstrations outside of the UN, some of the side events that were going on, I think were, were very meaningful. I, I really enjoyed uh, the Peruvians that were demonstrating for coca. Yeah, that was a really intense thing. So um, the backstory on that is kind of cool. Um, Yup Omen, who was a, uh, he was the European drug peace leader. He was, um, you know, you don't want to use name, drop names too much, you know, for obvious reasons, but because he passed away suddenly a couple of weeks before the special session, you know, there are many, more than a few people have said he was sort of in a way Martin Luther King of drug peace in Europe, and he was leading people through the wilderness for decades. When I first came home, partly thanks to his social club sponsorship to the talk after Two Out of Fail came out, no one in Europe had any sense that prohibition ever would end, that there was any change in the air. And now the whole world knows, and so he was part of it. And he had organized these Bolivians, his wife uh, is Bolivian, and, and uh, to come up and talk about the coca leaf, which was like, you know, boundary pushing for me. Because, I, you know, I stick to cannabis because I know it's good, you know. But these people call it, like, their health maintenance program. They say people live past 100 years old. So these two shamans came, and gosh, people came together and got burn permits, and they did this because there's a candle lighting in their ceremony, and they did this, like ceremony on the steps of the uh, United Nations, and it was a fantastic thing to be part of. Yeah, it was great to see that and so many of the others. All right, let's uh, get some updates on what's happening in industrial hemp here in the United States. I understand there's uh, at least one new state that has passed a hemp law? Yeah, um, well, first of all, it's a cavalcade, I think, since we last met. I don't know that Hawaii had, um, you know, it's houses, both houses in Hawaii had unanimously uh, passed it, and that's a recent uh, development that I'm really excited about because I'm out heading toward Maui, uh, part of the Maui Hemp Institute out there, um, trying to uh, make the uh, the islands a center of uh, regenerative hemp. The island itself is already banned GMO uh, crops. Their sugar, less sugar plantation just decommissioned. 
And um, it's hemp time on Maui, so I'm, I'm extremely excited about that one. Mm, excellent. And uh, didn't Alabama come around as well? Oh, it's so fantastic seeing the southern states. Yeah, thanks for mentioning that as well. It's it's a total cavalcade. I'm also proud to say I'm part of a farmer's co-op in Vermont, and I'm going to be there in a couple of days for the planting there. Seeds are in place. Universities working with our group, other universities working with another group. Um, it's happening in Vermont. One interesting thing, Russ, that I don't know that we've ever discussed here on Hemp Day Hum Day thus far is that the states that initially seemed like they weren't doing enough um, and I would say that that includes um, Vermont, probably Oregon as well, um, are many ways leaping out into the league. Colorado to a degree as well, although their state is now really starting to regulate officially with Colorado State University. Their act department is regulating um, hemp seeds and, and certifying them, which is fantastic for domestic cultivars to have the state help. But um, states like Vermont and Oregon at first were just asking for some money, almost no money, 25 bucks from Vermont, and that's it. They didn't want to help you get seeds, but they didn't want to hear anything else about it. They are like, go have fun, go hemp. And that is fantastic because the domestic seed is returning faster than even I or anybody would have thought possible. Um, I was just thinking about how when I wrote Hempbound, I, I forced myself to mention the fact that there is this option, this wild hemp seed that survived prohibition, maybe Darwin's the best cultivar. And the reason I mentioned it only hesitatingly is because the experts said, oh, no, no, you must have years and years of research and development of seed in order to have a cultivar that can be used, blah, blah, blah. Guess what? The, the feral hemp from all over the U.S. is already making exponential growth and return in <laughs> this industry. There's no stopping it now. Wow, that's amazing. Well, that, that kind of leads to a, a complex question we got from our chat room on Oregon hemp, and it's kind of got some parts to it, so let me go through. Uh, the first part would be that the feds consider any importation of viable cannabis seeds outside of a DEA permit to be illegal, right? The feds say you can't import seeds. The second part was that Oregon's going to have over 50 licensed hemp farmers in 2016. Oregon State's going to get a DEA permit, but only for themselves. The Oregon Department of Agriculture won't get a permit so that their licensees can import seeds. So if we end up having you know up to 50 licensed hemp farmers trying to get seeds into the state of Oregon, is that going to arouse the DEA getting all upset about these viable seeds? Excellent question. The um, first and most important part of my answer is I'm not a lawyer. Um, for <laughs> making decisions, make sure you uh, consult with folks. Um, and the way that the question was phrased could be answered in a number in, in, in a lot of different ways. Um, my advice, well, so last December, this is not advice, last December, um, federal law uh, uh, was signed into law by President Obama that explicitly prohibited the Justice Department from using funds to interfere with certified state and program members. And the clause specifically says, including interstate commerce. Uh -huh. And that was important because in some of the previous phases since our partial research legalization, there have been some claims from some um, aspects of federal um, law enforcement. But to be honest, the war with hemp, I think, on the federal level is over. Um, that when people do go through what are still some of the hoops, um, it's not impossible to get DEA permits. Um, but that said, my here we get to advice, that if I am understanding that December law correctly, I, I suggest people source from domestic sources. It's, it's uh, you know, it's, it's, it's available. It's expensive, but not when you do the math about what it's worth. And 
it won't be expensive just at the seed level for that many more years. Well, and you were just discussing these uh, these feral seeds and all that are that are being produced, and so shouldn't that help to uh, reduce this cost? Yeah, and it already is. I mean, for people who have been in hemp for a long time, the idea of paying $30 or more per pound of seeds is anathema to them, but that's, you know, what a free market is. And so that's how economics works. And so um, there, it's come down for some absolute downright exorbitant, I think, immoral pricing of a year ago to now just expensive, but suck it in and make an investment and start your business or start your co-op, help your community. You know, it's fine. It's not, it's not priced in a way that makes it impossible to participate. Um, but, you know, I want to see the seed prices come down too. So what are we looking for uh, this coming harvest season? How many states do you think are actually have hemp harvest this year? I don't know exactly the number of states, um, I, but I will see, tell you I'm seeing the same growth in almost every state. Um, I just was uh, part of a, a NPR story about the Vermont projects going on, and um, the conclusion of uh, John Callish and his excellent uh, piece was that uh, Vermont, like every place else, is growing magnitudes by tenfold. Kentucky acreage tenfold, Colorado acreage tenfold, and I think that's true of uh, Oregon as well, but um, at least, at least tenfold. Um, so I don't think that certain states are necessarily ahead of others because, for one thing, you could grow a couple of acres for flour um, and extract enough uh, of cannabinoids to market, you know, a six or seven figure enterprise, depending on what your finished product is. So it's not necessarily about acres cultivated. Um, uh, you know, personally for me, both as a farmer, plot member, but also as products that I want to use that derive from hemp cannabis, for me it's always about my normal sort of farmer's market, local or regional values to start, um, how the earth is treated, how everybody along the way is treated, including respect for, you know, the final person to enjoy the product. Um, so that's what I'm looking for, but, you know, it's coming out as hot and heavy from all levels. There, there are, in Colorado, I did an interview for my uh, hemp-based television show, uh, Growing Season in Colorado with their um, uh, state administrator for the hemp program, the Department of Agriculture, Dwayne Sinning, doing a fantastic job, really, out to help farmers. And he said that um, they can barely keep up. It's coming in so fast. They wouldn't be surprised if there were 20,000 acres cultivated in Colorado this year. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's just astounding how fast it's growing. Do you think uh, that, you know, a lot of people, and, and as I went around Texas and Florida, especially these non-marijuana uh, states, a lot of these purveyors of hemp CBD products are out there. Is that having an impact on how much hemp gets planted in these states? At this point, I don't think that there are enough metrics for anybody to be making an educated guess. You know, um, whenever there's a gold rush, the people who profit most from the gold rush, if we are talking about profit, it's what, you know, people's motivations are, um, are the people that sell the bulk bags of coffee and the pickaxes and stuff. Very, very few miners strike it rich. Um, and so you could say that the cannabinoid aspect of the plant or just the plant in general is a gold rush now to a degree. I mean, I know personally when I'm offering to consult or whatever, I'm, I'm approached by all types um, of mindsets. And I, I try to focus on the ones that match um, my values. But as far as intelligently prophesying metrics, I don't know. I sure wouldn't put my, all my eggs in the basket of just quantity-based CBD production for wholesale because nobody knows how long that market's going to last. I, I suspect we're just at the tip of the iceberg, but it could crash. So, um, you know, for me, it's 
the products that I'm interested in are diverse and out. It's like me as a person. They're out of the norm. It's not what everybody else is doing, <laughs> making, or interested in necessarily. Well, Doug, thanks for uh, giving us some of your time today and another Hemp Day Hump Day update. And give people the uh, websites and contact info if they want to learn more. Thank you. Saw dougfine.com and uh, look there for the latest dispatch about hempsea.com and artisan hemp crafted website. All right. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Doug, and uh, good luck on your road trip. Thanks, Russ. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Dr. Dabber, hurry! Its temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up! I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct! Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber, doctor's orders. Less heat, (laughs) more flavor. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. I said, on this program, what do they want? My grandchildren and the monster. Oh, did I scare you? Okay. Maybe you're high, too. I'm Radical Russ from the Russ Belleville Show. We're here with Sir Richard Branson. Far more damage has been done to people by the current approach. Jim McMahon. You know, a lot of the coaches are old school. You know, he used to just yell at us, go, oh, you bunch of box smokers. John Popper on the telephone. You know, I think in the 60s there was that kind of, the bigotry wasn't so common. It's the Russ Belleville Show, the NPR of POT, weekdays live at 6 Eastern, 3 Pacific, exclusively on CannabisRadio.com. When you are starting up a medical cannabis business, you want a fired-up lawyer who understands the needs of cannabis consumers. The Law Office of Lauren Vasquez is your fired-up lawyer for the cannabis industry. Visit her website, fireduplawyer.com, or call 1-855-MMJ-LAWS for more information. That's 855-665-5297 for Lauren Vasquez, your fired-up lawyer, or email fireduplawyer at gmail.com. Pod 2.0. It's not your father's Woodstock weed. <laughs> this is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody. 38 after the hour. Nice hearing from our folks in the chat room. John Chambers out there. Bud Green. Mike Hughes. Jackie Newberry. Nice to see you all here today. Aggie Cajun, if you're still out there, thanks for tuning in. John Thomas, almost always here. Can't help but see John Thomas's name and, and think of Monty Python's meaning of life. Because I'm Protestant, I can put a little rubber thingy on the end of my John Thomas. <laughs> oh my goodness. So tomorrow, uh, I will be in flight to Washington, D.C., and if everything works out well, I should be able to pull off doing a show tomorrow. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. Uh, we'll be cutting it close, but uh, I think we will have a live show tomorrow coming to you 
from Keith Strop's house, the founder of Normal. So interesting choice of locations, huh? And then uh, Friday, I will be at the Normal National offices and uh, doing some interviews with the people there on their uh, regular workday routines and uh, what they're up to as far as National Normal goes. So check that out on our Friday show, which also will involve a very special extended interview segment with Lauren Vasquez and Mickey Norris, who are representing the Adult Use of Marijuana Act in California. And they will be on telling us the latest about the campaign, debunking some of the fear-mongering about the Adult Use of Marijuana Act and convincing everyone that it's far better than prohibition. Shouldn't be that hard to do. So I wanted to make some note of Oregon's cannabis industry. We had a couple of votes that went down uh, in the primary yesterday, Grant County and Klamath County, that both rejected marijuana businesses. Now, this is a long and drawn out thing with Oregon. So what happened was, uh, when we passed legalization in 2014, we said that the cities and counties have a local option to ban cannabis businesses through a vote of the people. Okay, So what that meant was, is that businesses would be legal until they're banned. That was the way it was passed. That's the way 56% of Oregon voters decided, is that cannabis businesses would be legal until... The people voted, and if they voted, they could ban them. Now, the counties that voted against Measure 91 didn't like this. And this dates back, this is an old rift in Oregon that is duplicated in a lot of other states, where the urban centers have all the people, and so they're more liberal, and they tend to make the decisions in most elections. And then these rural conservative areas don't have a lot of people in them. And so they feel like, oh, those big city liberals, they make all the rules that we don't like kind of feeling. Okay. So this was exemplified with the Measure 91 vote where, you know, in Portland and Eugene and and, uh, Medford and all the major metro areas, it passed handily. In in Portland, there's some districts that were 70, 80%. But then you get out east of the Cascades where there's more cows than people. And they voted it down, sometimes as high as 60% against or more. So they didn't like the idea that all these big city liberals passed this marijuana legalization. And they wanted the ability to ban these businesses right out of the gate. Because Measure 91 made them all legal right out of the gate until they're banned by a vote of the people. And that's when we got what was called the West Idaho Compromise. At least that's what I call it. And this compromise was that if if your county voted more than 55% against the initiative, then your city or county could outright ban the marijuana businesses without a vote of the people. Now, if your city or county didn't vote 55, your county didn't vote 55% against it, then you're still subject to the statewide initiative that says you have to get a vote of the people. So, Grant and Klamath were two of these counties that had these bans. You know, first thing, like, ah, we're going to ban them. They're not even licensed yet, by the way. We don't have licensed recreational businesses yet. They're just going to start giving out the licenses June 2nd, I think. So, 
they're not even in existence yet, but all these like over 100 cities and counties in Oregon have banned marijuana businesses. And so Grant County and Klamath County were two of these and citizens there collected signatures to put a ban reversal on the ballot. So remember measure 91 when it passed was these things are legal until the people vote against them. But thanks to the compromise, these things are illegal until the people vote for them. Now, in those elections, the people didn't win. They were voted against. So, you know, this would be the argument by the, the antis. They would say, see, see, our counties voted so much against legalization that even when you were asked if they could have a, a pop shop, we still voted against it. But that's not the point. The point is whether or not the people should have been forced to try to make them legal in the first place when there was a statewide initiative that said they should be. Do these statewide initiatives matter or do they not? Are they statewide or are they not? I'm afraid a terrible precedent has been set with Measure 91 in the legislature that says, oh, well, if your county really, really hates it, it can get a special exemption. So where's that going to go next? Some sort of logging bill, some sort of abortion bill, some sort of tax bill, whatever it might be, now these counties know if they just stomp their feet and hold their breath, they can get a special exemption. It's already happening in some respects in Oregon. They're going to allow self-gas pumping in the rural counties after 6 p.m. For those of you who don't know, Oregon and I think New Jersey is the only other state where you can't pump your own gas. We actually have gas attendants who come pump your gas everywhere, but not now. Now in the rural counties after 6 PM, they don't have to do that. And of course they're changing speed limits out in the rural counties. We've been set at a 65 mile speed limit here in Oregon for a long time. Now they're going to start letting these rural places go up to 70 or is it 75? I can't say I'm against that one. (laughs) I have to actually, I'm actually kind of for that one. But uh, anyway, the point, the other point I like to make on this is that the whole purpose, the whole basis of the compromise is a false premise. The West Idaho Compromise was built on this idea that, well, these counties in Eastern Oregon voted so much against it, they'd never be for a pot shop. Why make them vote again? And I've always argued that the reason why is because it's a different vote. It's a different ballot. When we were voting for Measure 91, the question was, given that weed is illegal, should it be legal and should there be pot shops? The question now is, given that weed's legal, should there be pot shops? Now, I recognize Grant County and Klamath County just got asked that question and just turned it down. And that's fine, because now they finally answered the question, but it, it should never have been, the onus should not have been on the people to have to put that question to the people. It should have been on the government to have to put that to the people, and to have to do so after there were already some licensed pot shops in existence. See, that's the other part about this. See, Measure 91 set it up so that these guys could start to get licensed until they were banned by the people. And the opponents recognized that the flaw in that, from their perspective, was if these places got established, people might recognize they're no big deal 
and then not want to vote against them. So long as they don't aren't established, so long as they don't exist, there's still something mystical and unknown about them that we can gin up some fear about. That, I believe, is another reason why they push so hard to be able to ban on their own. It's just a different question now because banning a pot shop when pot's still illegal is different than banning a pot shop when pot's legal. In Grant County or Harney County, when pot was completely illegal, anyone who was growing it or possessing it could get busted outside the medical system. Now that pot's legal, any adult in Harney County or Crook County or what was the other county? Whatever county it was, Grant County, that's it. In Grant County or Harney County, any adult can cultivate four plants now. Any adult can possess an ounce on his person and eight ounces at home now. So now it's even easier to be a black market weed dealer. So should we continue to not have competition for the black market weed dealers who have now been given the advantage of home possession and home cultivation? That's what the question is now. Now, Grant County and Harney County still rejected it. They still apparently think taking in tax revenue from pot shops is a bad idea. And then instead, all the pot revenue and pot uh, marketing and trafficking should go to people who are unlicensed and unregulated, who now have the ability to grow four plants and possess eight ounces with no repercussions. Apparently, they're cool with that setup. Okay, so be it. But they are turning their back on taxes and wages, the latest Oregon Cannabis Jobs Report, we talked to uh, Sam Chapman about this uh, on the road a little bit ago, but this Oregon Cannabis Jobs Report shows that Oregon's cannabis industry has created 2,156 new jobs, 2,100 new jobs. Now, I know Grant County and Harney County, being the kind of places that relied a lot on the timber industry, could probably use a few more jobs. The jobs themselves have generated $46 million in wages. How are we better going to get money pumped into the economy than creating jobs that pay people well? And, and you're going to turn your back on it. You're going you're gonna to reject that because you think pot is icky. That's really what it comes down to. It comes down to a vote of bigotry. What do they think a cannabis business is? Well, they think it's a den of iniquity frequented by ne'er-do-wells and scofflaws. And it couldn't be further from the truth. Every dispensary I go to, throughout all the states I go to them, it's, it's people like me. It's older people. It's people in their 40s and 50s and 60s. The younger, like, I don't know what they're expecting it to be when they walk into a pot shop. Uh, you know, <laughs> I've certainly been in alcohol bars that were much sketchier than any pot shop I've ever been in. It, it's usually a pretty serene and, and standard retail transaction. There's jars of weed. You sniff a couple of them. You say you want a few grams of this. They weigh it up. They put it in a childproof container. They check your ID. You pay for it. You're done. The buildings themselves have frosted glass windows. They got a guy at the door checking your ID and the guy at the cash register checking your ID. I just don't know what it is these conservative counties are afraid of or, or that they're not understanding. For so long, I guess, cannabis has been associated with criminals and violence and negative stereotypes of laziness and stoners and whatever else. That really can be the only reason to understand these votes. 
You've got a legal industry now here in the state of Oregon. People can legally possess and grow this stuff. Why you would turn your back on tax revenue and new jobs and rebuilding your economies? Well, you will eventually. Deschutes County has decided to come to the light side, the weed side. The rest of you will come around as more of that money keeps flowing in. We get things set up for Stoner Jesus when we come back. Stay tuned. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. We need to build a wall. Okay. Maybe you're high, too. Hey, this is Willie Nelson for Norman. And I smoke pot and I like it a lot. I learned a long time ago that marijuana is a lot safer than alcohol. There's nothing wrong with the responsible use of marijuana by adults. It's time we stopped arresting and started respecting those who smoke marijuana responsibly. To learn what you can do to help, contact Normal at NORML.org or call toll-free 888-67-NORML. Don't want to spend money on a night out, but don't know what to do other than watching TV or playing video games? Consider playing guitar, bass, banjo, or mandolin. The instrument will give you hours of entertainment with friends with minimal expense. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension, downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today, or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. Warning, hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. <coughs> or at least they pay me to say that. This is Dan Michaels from danmichaelsaudio.com, and you're listening to Radical Russ on CannabisRadio.com. That's right, and if you're listening to us live on CannabisRadio.com, stay on the line because coming up next at the top of the hour, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, we got the Stoner Jesus Show, the greatest podcast ever because, I mean, Jesus made it, right? Because how could it not be the best? So stay tuned with Stoner Jesus and his sidekick, St. Peter, as they discuss the news and politics of the day in a decidedly... uh, Irreligious and sacrilegious way. I, I don't know how it's best to, uh, let's just say that, uh, not safe for work. Let's just say it that way, but, uh, definitely safe for, uh, fun and frivolity. It's one of the most hilarious shows you can listen to. And it's right here on cannabisradio.com. Stoner Jesus coming up at the top of the hour. Also, as we wind things up here at Rolla J, 
I just want to say, I told you so. And that I told you so goes out to the people in Ohio, specifically the ones who were all up in my grill because I was in support of issue three. I was in support of issue three and especially a lot of people in the, uh, in even the marijuana movement, good friends of mine, as a matter of fact, disagreed with me on issue three. And I explained my reasoning. I said, you know what? Issue three is the best legalization plan Ohio is ever going to get. It's, it's, it's better legalization plan than most states are going to get a chance to get. You never, never reject a chance to pass a wide open marijuana legalization. I don't care who gets rich off it. Now, after California passes, after the feds change scheduling, maybe 10, 20 years from now, that makes a bigger difference to me. But right now, winning means everything to me, ending this prohibition and stopping the arrest of people. And I told folks in Ohio, I said, look, you vote down this Ohio thing and I'll tell you exactly what's going to happen. Your legislature is going to see the writing on the wall and realize that if they don't pass something that y'all will get your act together and pass some sort of medical marijuana law. And so what they'll do is they'll propose a medical marijuana law in the legislature and they'll ratchet it down. So it's a nice tight, no cannabis plants, no smoking type of medical marijuana law. And they'll try to get that through as fast as they can in the 2016 session to try to undercut support for a medical marijuana initiative. It'll be just like Governor Schwarzenegger in 2010 pulling the October surprise of passing a decriminalization law to undercut the support in Prop 19. It's exactly the playbook Ohio will go by. They'll pass a limited medical marijuana law. Everybody will say, aha, Ohio is the 25th medical marijuana state. And the medical marijuana issue will be over for most of the people that don't pay much attention to this. And then MPP trying to come along with its medical marijuana initiative in Ohio has to fight against the perception that, wait a minute, didn't we already pass medical marijuana? And the opposition being able to say, look, Ohio's got a medical marijuana law. These guys are just trying to get legalization through the back door. And guess what? I told you so. That's all the time we got for today. Stay tuned as we get the signal switched over to Stoner Jesus coming up live at the top of the hour. For everyone here at Rolla J Studios in beautiful legal Potland, Oregon, including... Roscoe P. Coltrane. I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us. And until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it.